Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Week 2 had more shocks and scandal and fallout than a Dundee Hindu on a weekend in Magaluf. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Gordon McGuinness. No Paul this week. Given the no-call part two at the weekend, we've told him to get to France and sent him on a pilgrimage to find the Fleur de Lis. So just like Teddy Bridgewater, I'm stepping in. Yeah, but unlike Teddy, though, hopefully Gordon will be able to see a completion on this podcast as we look back at all of the headlines from week two, and there's plenty. Then it's on to week three. We'll highlight the matches that are catching our eye. And as ever, we'll wrap up with all the news, and we've got some news for those of you attending our now sold-out live event in week four in Glasgow. Absolutely. Lots to get through. Gordon, thank you for joining us and stepping into the gap. And let's start off with Paul's New Orleans Saints, because let's get let's stick the sword in while he's not here. Stick the sword and stick the knife in. Um, <laughs> same thing. Let's go for a sword. It's bigger. It'll cause more pain. And lots of pain is what's come out of this for the Saints, because fine. From the Saints, they're going to be focused in on this no-call. But obviously, losing Drew Brees out for six weeks with that thumb injury is absolutely huge. There were so many people looking forward to this game, this rematch, and it never really got going on either side on offense. You lose Brees, in comes Terry Bridgewater, and obviously, he's going to start cold. He's not the same player at all. He did all right. Um, you know, we joked about completions there. He certainly made some, but uh, really, the Saints were not particularly good on offense. No, no, they were they were poor, and like the Rams, they struggled for for the early part of the game, um, and then the the real difference in the game was one the no call and and two the injury to Breeze. I think the officials probably get a little bit of a break because of the Breeze injury, because that's what everyone's been focused on for the better part of this week, which means that outside of a couple of memes and things, I've seen the furor of the no call has kind of subsided for the panic on what they're going to do without uh, Drew Brees at quarterback. And I think the big thing for them, if you look at how their schedule sets out, Brees could be back just after the bye, at which point five of their last eight games are all divisional games. So as long as they can, if they can get through this stretch, three and three, maybe even two and four, if Bridgewater can limit the mistakes because he had a couple of really bad throws on Sunday, but as you said, coming in cold, if they can get around about 500 when they get Brees back, in an NFC South that doesn't look as strong as it has in previous years, um, I think they still have a chance in the division. It's just going to depend if they can get him back around about the bye um, and as long as Bridgewater can limit mistakes up until then. Yeah, because certainly Bridgewater's got talent there. You know, he can hand the ball off to Kamara. Latavius Murray is that sort of bigger back. You've still got Michael Thomas. He's, uh, you know, Cook's a good tight end. He's just got to get a bit of time to build those relationships and and start working together. So, you know, Bridgewater's proven he can do it to a certain level. So it's not a complete disaster. But yeah, the focus point is that no call. And let's be honest, it it was the wrong call. You know, it's it's the equivalent to a referee not waving play on when there's clearly a scoring opportunity there. It should have been a touchdown in the end it wouldn't have mattered if spots and maybes and all that jazz I understand uh, listen the Saints fans have got every right to be annoyed at this every single right to be annoyed I did see a load of people jumping on them saying oh here they are whinging again but I think they've got every right to whinge at these referees because that's two really bad calls one of them catastrophic in their quest to make the Super Bowl the other one perhaps like you say less of an impact overall but still it, it's frustrating and they'll feel like oh it's always us now there's no conspiracy there is nothing that anyone's got against the Saints I'm not having any any of that nonsense. Let them have their grumbles on that. Um, and I'm sure they'll all turn up dressed in their um, referee uh, uniforms again for the next game. So at least they're getting multiple uses out of that. You know, not a wasted purchase. You get to wear it, wear it more than once. Yeah, and being New Orleans, they'll probably get to wear it for Mardi Gras as well. Yeah. So they're going to get they're going to get a lot of use out of that. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So what other games then uh, did you enjoy? What were your big takeaways from week two? Do you know, I really enjoyed, obviously, having a significant interest in the Baltimore Ravens anyway. I, I spent a lot of time watching uh, them going up against the Arizona Cardinals, and it was a really nice um, window into potentially what the future of the NFL is. You had Lamar Jackson going up against Kyler Murray, um, and Jackson's been a complete revelation this year. I think after where he was last year, I kind of came into this year basically expecting, you know, He's not going to be that accurate on a down-to-down basis. He'll have some big throws. As long as they build the offense around him and you know allow him to run the ball, they can they can still do some things. And through two weeks, he's been arguably the best passer in the NFL. Now, they've not gone up against elite defenses in that span, but the throws have still been there. He had a throw that effectively sealed the game um, down the right sideline to the rookie Marquise Brown that was just absolutely on the money. And I think... The, the the step forward he's taken um, has been really impressive to see. And then on the other side, Kyler Murray isn't quite there yet, but there was a lot of stuff he did really well. You saw him doing a lot of things where he was um, commanding things at the line. Uh, there was a play, a completion to Larry Fitzgerald that wasn't a perfect pass. It was a little bit underthrown. But what he did was he dropped back and he was looking the safety off, looking Earl Thomas off to the other side of the field and then came back and threw it to Fitzgerald. So I think... That I found really exciting just watching the two of them um, because hopefully, you know, they're quarterbacks that we're going to see for the next five, six years. I think when all these quarterback injuries have happened this week, I think everyone's starting to realise that Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, Tom Brady eventually, all these guys are, you know, we are now in the highlight of their careers and we need quarterbacks to be stepping up. So I think the fact that uh, Lamar Jackson, um, Kyler Murray and obviously Patrick Mahomes um, have been doing some big things. I think that should encourage people that you know we can still get some really good quarterback play in the next in the next five years to a decade. Yeah, and like you say, it's very different. Do you know what? This it's an interesting game that you pull on first. I feel like these are two of the teams. Two weeks in, I feel like I know almost very little about. There's in in the sense of the bigger picture, the Ravens have been massively impressive, but you almost got to take that Dolphins game out of it. They've had a six-point victory over the Cardinals, who had a great comeback tie against the Lions. And obviously the Cardinals are into this one being 0-1-1, but there does feel like a lot of promise around them. And then for the Ravens, is the fact that the Cardinals got so close a warning that maybe they're not quite as far ahead, or is that a sign that the Cardinals are better than we think? So I feel like there's so many questions. You're right, though. I think Jackson's performance has surprised everybody. You know, 272 yards, two touchdowns, plus 120 himself on the ground. For me as well, Murray, 349 through the air. Virtually no running game whatsoever. That says a lot about the uh, Baltimore defense, though, as well. But it was all done through the air, which says a lot about him as well, that he doesn't need to rely on him making up yards himself. He actually had, you know, Christian Kirk over 100 yards, Larry Fitzgerald over 100 yards. That's great performances from a new guy and a very old guy who's still doing it week after week. So I feel like, you know, trying to project these two teams going forward, I still don't know where to place them. I don't know if the Baltimore Ravens are absolutely out there as the divisional favourites. It feels like they are. For the Cardinals, you know, this feels like in what is a really tough division, they're already way behind. But, it looks as though they'll be competitive enough to cause problems in that division and have a good platform on which to grow. Yeah, I think they can definitely um, cause some problems for people. And I think with the way the quarterback's injuries have gone, um, Baltimore probably have to feel like favourites just now. But 
you know, you don't really know where they are based on the two teams they've they've beat so far. The next two weeks, they've got Kansas City this weekend, and then they play the Cleveland Browns. Um, and that one in week four has the potential to be a huge game. The Browns have been really disappointing so far. Um, I very much believe the hype. Uh, we were very big on Baker Mayfield at PFF um, coming out of college. His rookie year was, I think, the only other rookie quarterback to grade higher was Russell Wilson in his rookie year. Um, and through two games this year, he's been hugely disappointing. The The offensive line has been terrible. Um, he's been under pressure a lot. But even then, you know, he's been falling back into uh, like away from the line of scrimmage, which brings on more pressure. Um, his decision-making, I think I saw someone um, put up a thread on Twitter that was highlighting how much he struggled against cover two coverage for defenses. Um, so the Browns, I think, that's one of the other storylines to come out of the weekend. I think it was, you know, they, they had a gimme win against the the Jets who were going into the game with um, their backup quarterback. Then he got hurt, and so they're now at their third-string quarterback. So there's no way the Browns should have been losing that game anyway. And they did win, but they didn't really do it in emphatic fashion. For a 20-point win, I think it was, it wasn't overly, you know, you didn't come out of that game thinking, okay, week one, was just, you know, there was nothing to worry about. That was just a slip up against the Titans. They still didn't look great in week two. So I think that week four game between Cleveland and Baltimore for me is circled as probably something that's going to tell you quite a lot about where both teams actually are. Says a lot about the Browns that uh, AFC special teams player of the week was Jamie Gillen, the Scottish Hammer. Brilliant for Jamie. But when your punter is your special teams player off the the week, you know you've been punting the ball a lot. For him, let's just touch on him briefly. Six punts, average 38.5, but he was pretty much punting from midfield every single time. Five of those six inside the 20, only one of them returned for, I think, two yards, which is his only returned punt to date. So... Big up, Jamie Gillen. Well done as well to Austin Siebert, who looks really confident. Uh, and so far, his kicking game's been pretty good, other than a little wobble at the beginning. Um, but you're right. You know, a couple of big plays from uh, Odell Beckham Jr. You know, 161 yards and a touchdown. He had a good night. 85 of that came on one play. There was the one-handed catch, which was very dramatic. But yeah, other than that, you know, Nick Chubb didn't really get it going. He did all right. A couple of decent runs. Um, Jarvis Landry is not really that much of a threat. I thought he would be seeing the ball an awful lot more with all the attention that Odell Beckham would be getting. But yeah, just there's something's not sitting quite right with Baker. You know, 19 for 35, 325, a touchdown and an interception. Fine, the yards, the touchdown and interception don't look bad, but that 19 for 35 is not particularly sexy. On the flip of that, Luke Falk came on, who was the number three, first time he's ever been active for a game, and actually looked all right. 20 for 25, yeah. 198 yards. Okay, no touchdowns or anything. Didn't throw any interceptions. But you look at the three yards that Trevor Simeon got, who's been a starter and has a better win record than lose record, I think, in the NFL. Um, and he could do nothing. So Lev Bell did a load of the work there. Robbie Anderson, a couple of good catches. Jamison Crowder got into it later on. Um, but, you know, for a player coming in, I thought he did pretty well. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the way you look at it with him, doesn't have a huge arm. He's not going to have a ton of success downfield. Um, but you can scale your offense around that. And with, when you've got Le'Veon Bell, you've got a guy who can work in the passing game. Um, you can do things like that. So, I, I mean, I, I still think they're in big trouble for as long as Sam Darnold's out. Um, and if he winds up being out for, you know, the kind of four-plus weeks that people are talking about potentially, um, you know, it, it's going to do a pretty big dent to their playoff hopes. But it'll be interesting to see 
um, you know, how they can do with, with Luke Falk at quarterback. So we'll come on and talk about a couple of quarterbacks that weren't expected to be number one, but are now already and doing pretty well. But before we get to that, you got to touch on your Ravens. We're not going any further without me talking about these 49ers because, do you know what? <laughs> what a mug I am. I backed against them um, on our pick last week. I thought we'd struggle maybe to go to Cincinnati because they ran the, the Seahawks pretty close. But holy hell, not being 2-0 since 2015. Uh, 2012 and of course that year we made the Super Bowl not being 2-0 on the road since I think 1989 Jimmy Garoppolo had a passer rating of 131.2 and we had a total combined yards of 572 on offense holy cow um that was that was impressive it wasn't even just a pasting like the Patriots gave the Dolphins a pasting I think this is a more significant pasting this one um you know, obviously Mixon wasn't totally back to himself, but there was nothing on the run game at all. I think that the the front seven for the Niners looks really hot, and they were right on top of the Bengals' offense all afternoon. You look at where they did do damage, and it was over the top. So there's still question marks about the secondary. Um, but it's hard not to get a little bit excited and a little bit wound up. However. I will go to Twitter because Lauren Callahan has pointed out that I've backed against the Niners both weeks. Spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> the 49ers are coming up this week and I'm an absolute stickler for superstition, so I'll be backing against them this week again as well. Um, but it's a, it's a really good start and it's a really interesting division now as well. Yeah, I think the there was a lot of people down on Jimmy Garoppolo because I think a lot of people focused on uh, that I think it was against the Broncos in preseason. He had like a five-snap sequence that might be the worst five-snap sequence I've ever seen from a quarterback. There was a dropped interception. There was a, another – I think the dropped interception probably would have been a pick six. There was an interception. Um, he had a bad pass, which isn't really his fault, and then he had another um, another poor throw um, thrown in there. But when you go back to his first stint in San Francisco before he got hurt, um, when he was first the starter there – there was a lot of encouraging signs and there's a lot of stuff he did very well. Um, and I think, you know, in that division, you're going to have to have the, the two things that they have going for them are, is having a quarterback. Um, and Kyle Shanahan is a really good offensive mind, one of the best offensive minds in the game. And I think you saw that in this game against a Bengals team that I don't think the Bengals are necessarily that bad. I think this was a game that was more, it was bad by Cincinnati, but it was impressive by the 49ers as well. And you look at, um, how they got both running backs in the game. Yeah. Uh, both Breed and Mostert had, you know, big plays in the running game. Uh, Mostert, I think, had some big plays in the passing game as well. Getting Debo Samuel worked into the passing game. George Kittle obviously showing why he's one of the best tight ends in the NFL. All that talent and being able to to get the ball in the playmakers' hands uh, is a really encouraging sign. And you know, yeah, it's not against a team that's going to make the playoffs in all likelihood, but. It sets them up well. These are the it's it's a little bit similar to where the Ravens were with the first two games, games that you should win, get through those at two and zero, and then see what happens when you know you've got some more serious challenges. Because if you slip up, like we've seen the Browns slip up against the Titans, uh, that puts you in a position where all of a sudden you're then having to claw back a game that you know you you might have a game that you chalked up as a loss on your on your schedule and all of a sudden you need to claw that back to put yourself in playoff position so the 49ers have done exactly what's been asked of them through two games 
Yeah, absolutely. And long may the long may continue. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I'd, I'd thank you as well for not mentioning that it was your Ravens that beat the Niners in 2012 when we made it to the Super Bowl. That was very gracious of you. But that's that's what you get to be as the ultimate winner, I guess. At the end of the day, <laughs> um, I talked before that thought about quarterbacks that weren't expected to be the number ones, but now are. Uh, the two that come to mind uh, right away. I'm going to touch on Mason Rudolph, who for the rest of the season, as far as we're aware, there's not been any trades to this point as we record. Uh, is the number Number one quarterback at Pittsburgh um, goes to San Francisco based on the defensive performance it might be a tough task but he did very well I thought when he came on against the Seahawks not expecting to come into a game in a game where they weren't doing particularly well to this point but 19 for 12 112 yards two touchdowns one interception uh, the Steelers fans seem to be quite excited about it but there's definitely positive signs in that and he again you know, that was already a load of questions about that offense. Having lost Bell and Brown, how are they going to cope? But Juju Smith-Schuster is a good player. James Conner is a very capable running back. There is talent there. Um, and there is there is some cause for optimism in Pittsburgh, given what we've seen so far. Yeah, and I think the, the, the really interesting thing with the move to Mason Rudolph with Big Ben's injury is uh, I think it probably opens up the opportunity for James Washington to have some big plays wide receiver. Uh, he had a really nice preseason, and a lot of that was when Rudolph was on the field. Uh, they were teammates at Oklahoma State and put up a ton of yardage, especially throwing the ball downfield there together. So, um, you know, I think there's the potential for some stuff there. But what I found, I don't know if I want to say strange, I, I think Pittsburgh have a lot of faith in Mason Rudolph because they went out and made a trade for Minka Fitzpatrick this week, which is a first-round pick going to the Miami Dolphins. Your, your starting quarterback has just gone in on injured reserve. You're going to your backup quarterback that theoretically we don't really know what he can do over an extended period of time uh, in the regular season, in, in live action in the NFL. They've potentially traded a top 10 pick um, for Minkovic Patrick, who I think is a very good slot cornerback, and I think it's a good trade for them to, to acquire him. I just found the timing very interesting, and I think it probably shows that they they think Rudolph will be absolutely fine because if it turns out if it turns out that he's not and that winds up being, say, the sixth overall pick in the draft and they don't then have the opportunity to get their quarterback of the future with Big Ben's career almost over um, and, let's say, Rudolph has struggled this year, you've traded away the sixth overall pick for a defensive back and, you know, you've potentially then just got a huge chasm at quarterback. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out as the season goes on. Yeah, obviously as well, Jim Dobbs was traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. So that he was number three, I guess, in line there. So uh, they weren't expecting Ben to go down for the season. But th there is definitely perhaps a need to get in a decent replacement because if anything happens to Mason Rudolph, I'll be honest off the top of my head, I don't even know who's next in the depth chart after that. Um, although Brian Hoyer's free, so you never know. Brian might end up back <laughs> on a team somewhere. Um but I thought, to be fair to him as well, Russell Wilson had a good game. 300 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Interesting to see Rashad Penny outperform Carson on the ground. DK Metcalf turning up with a touchdown. So offensively, Seahawks look as though they're still a contender. Obviously, have had a good start to the season themselves, 2-0. So like we say, it's an interesting division. The other quarterback that's number one we didn't expect who's doing really well is Gardner Minshew. Uh, now, obviously, we'll take the style tips off him for a start. But on the field, <laughs> 213 yards a touchdown and 56 yards on the ground, more than Fournette got. He actually did all right in what was a stuffy game anyway. 
Yeah, and I think especially in the fourth quarter, you know, he almost led them back. Um, I loved the decision by them to to go for two, and although it didn't work out, um, I, I just think in a situation like that, when you're on the road um, against a team that are going to be favoured to to win, and against a quarterback like Watson, who is more than capable of in 30 seconds going downfield and and kicking the and and you're putting them in position for the game-winning field goal, I love the the faith you have in your offense that we're going to try and get these two yards and win the game rather than taking this to overtime. So I thought that was. Uh, I thought that was a great move, and I thought Minshew really grew as the game went on. So if he can continue, if he can start to get some of his late-game magic into the earlier, um, the first and second quarter of the game, it potentially puts them in a position where they can be playing with a lead instead of chasing things. And you know, they spent the, the fourth overall pick on Leonard Fournette a couple of years ago, and Fournette's the type of running back that really isn't going to be much use to you unless you're playing with a lead. He's the type of running back that you want when you're up in the fourth quarter and you can run at a tired defense, you, you know, you're not going to have a ton of success if you're relying on him to be the focal point of your offense. So Minshew's development um, over the next few weeks is probably going to be key to to them trying to get themselves into the playoff hunt. The fact that he's a mobile back might help Fournette in the long term. But it's funny, I, I took a completely different stance on the two-point attempt. I thought it was, uh, for me... And it was, I guess, on the back of the pictures we'd seen earlier in the game of Doug Marone nose-to-nose with Jalen Ramsey. Clearly, tempers flared. Um, I felt like the Jags had done so well to fight back into it. And I thought momentum was on their side at that point. I thought if they'd managed to tie that game, then momentum would have been on their side going into overtime. I thought because it had been so stuffy, because that Jags front, sorry, the Texans front seven is good, I thought that Whitney Merciless had another brilliant game. JJ Watt is always a threat. The risk, if you're going to run it as they did, um, there was so much on stake. And if you get it wrong, you've got one chance and that's you done. At least if you take it to overtime, fine. In theory, you could have one blown coverage, one massive play. But the chances of that are lower than the chances of getting stopped on the line by that solid Texans D. I think that Doug Marone almost felt he had a point to prove that he was in charge of the team. And I felt that that was perhaps the driver behind it rather than necessarily the right thing to do in the circumstance. If this had been a a high-scoring game, you know, if this had been 36-35, different story. I think going for it, absolutely, because you know what? You've been proven all game long you can score points. The Jags hadn't been scoring points and were struggling to get anywhere. So I just, I don't know, it felt like after 60 minutes of struggling, you just managed to get a touchdown. You go for it all, you give it the kitchen sink, and you leave with a loss. Um, and, and and on the back of that Jalen Ramsey thing, he's now in the position where he's up in arms. And win or lose, he might have come out and asked for the trade either way. But now it just, for me, I think Doug Marone's really on the red seat, the hot seat with this one. Um for me, it's a team full of egos, and I'll put Leonard Fournette in that group as well. A team full of egos, and you got to be on top of them. And he, I'm not sure he's got control. No, I think it was definitely it was definitely a pretty ugly incident for them. And it when you have a coach and a player blow up at each other on the sideline like that, it, it's very difficult to come back from it. And you know the the fallout. It's been a strange few weeks in the NFL with you know, all the Antonio Brown stuff. And there's been a whole bunch of trades that have happened effectively because, you know, players have been a little bit fed up with how things are going and they've just said, you know, okay, get me out of here. Um, The Ramsey thing's really interesting because if you're a team, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, and you can get him through trade, um, you'd 
improve that defense so much. And they're a team who right now have Patrick Mahomes on a rookie contract so they can afford to get Ramsey in, pay him when he needs to be paid, all these things. But it just, you know, he seems like the type of guy who is always a play away, a disagreement away from absolutely blowing up. Um, I think when we saw there was, uh, I think it was the when Miles Jack got ejected in week one, Ramsey was in amongst that as well. It was him who came running up and pushed someone early on. So I, I think he's arguably the most naturally talented defensive back in the entire NFL. Um, and I think someone's definitely going to want to trade for him. The, the really interesting thing I saw that he'd said in the past was when asked where he wants to play, or if he could pick anywhere to play, he said he would love to play in Las Vegas because there's no state tax in Las Vegas. The Raiders, <laughs> the Raiders have a few. <laughs> the Raiders have a few um, picks that they can trade. The Jaguars want multiple picks if they're going to trade them. Um, but for the Jaguars, it just, you know, you've gone from Blake Bortles and then you brought in Nick Foles, who had a Super Bowl run, but they paid him an awful lot of money. Now all of a sudden you're you know, you're trading away your best your best young player. It really feels like the brief window we saw from them was just a brief window and, you know, they they're in a position now where potentially they're gonna struggle quite a bit again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um I have to say I would be all for the Niners trying to find a way to pick him up. Uh, I think that we've got problems at secondary and I think that Ramsey needs to go somewhere where he can be um I don't know. Looked after, I guess. Um, someone who can take them under his wing. And I think that Richard Sherman could actually do that. The The transition and character of Richard Sherman continues to surprise me on a daily basis. But he does seem to... I think the only one that's more ridiculous is the Richie Incognito one. Um, but, you know... <laughs> Sherman seems to be the level head in that 49ers team. Uh, the only thing, of course, is we've already given away the second round pick to the, the Chiefs for D4. But that first round pick, maybe with something in a later round, might be enough to tempt them away. We've got very young offense and cornerbacks, definitely an area that we need an upgrade at. So uh, I would be cautious, but all for it. Because talent-wise, there's no doubt he's a, he is an absolute talent. An absolute talent. Um, but yeah, there's definitely question marks over over the personality i guess um but then that so often is the case with these uh competitive good players right before we move on then um any other things that really stood out for you obviously there's a couple of games that we haven't really covered i think the only other one that i'm going to call out is dak prescott continues to look really impressive on offense uh 26 for 30 269 yards three touchdowns one interception 69 yards on the ground as well um michael gallup and injury will be frustrating for them he's only going to be out for a couple of weeks probably but he he looks really impressive and to be fair the cowboys look as though they're on fire yeah i think we can probably close on them to to wrap up last week and i think it's it's the combination of dak prescott and their new offensive coordinator kellen moore who was there i think he was their backup quarterback for a good number of years um and he's someone who everyone's always had people always made jokes about the fact the cowboys kept him around but the word you always saw from people was that he's a really good person to have in the quarterback room um and he's changed a lot for the Cowboys so far. They're using shifts in motion more. They're using play act more. They're putting Prescott in a position where he can succeed. And he's delivering the ball when they're putting them in those positions. So the combination of the two of them so far um, has been really good. And all of a sudden, the Cowboys have gone from uh, an offense that you know wasn't really doing much to one of the most high-powered offenses in the NFL through the first two weeks of the season. I do find it really interesting as well 
that all the talk all off season was about Ezekiel Elliott's holdout and how they had to get him back. And, you know, th- yeah, they did get him back and it was fine. But what really has driven them so far this season is the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. So I think it again just shows where the importance lies in offense um, in the NFL. So I think that, that makes sense. Yeah, that's most of the games covered up. Let's let's very quickly in sort of thirty seconds sum up the rest. Packers, Vikings. Packers turned up in the first quarter, rushed ahead, and then sacked it for the rest of the day. Kirk Cousins is afraid to throw. I think that sums that one up. Uh, same, uh, you know, the Giants started brilliantly and then disappeared. Eli Manning will come on to him in a minute. Uh, the Patriots. So the Dolphins managed to get picks for Fitzpatrick, but then Fitzmagic was giving away picks like they were going out of fashion. Um, <laughs> Raiders Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes just decided to play one quarter, but he did enough and good God, didn't he do it and, no, and more. And the Bears have found a kicker. Oh, and then um, the Falcons won the Battle of the Birds and what was probably one of the more entertaining games of the, the week. So well done to them. Nice close game. Nine of the games all within a score. Some competitive ones in there, but you know, we were saying we we're going to wrap up with the Cowboys I'm actually going to give us a Saints sandwich because there's no way I'm letting this go. The Saints scored just nine points, and this is the last point. That's the lowest that the Saints have scored since the 29th of November in 2015 when they lost 24-6 to the Texans. That day, Brian Hoyer had a passer rating of 107.6. Good God. Right, I think we move on to week three now, and let's go through. What what are the games of week three then that that tickle your fancy? We'll come on to our pick six selection. And we'll go through those ones. But what are the other games that sort of really stick out for you as interesting stories? I really like the the, the biggest storyline for me. I think is the fact that, and I think this I don't have the stat in front of me, but this must be a first. We have two games in the NFL this week where the spread on them is over 20 points. It's the, <laughs> the Patriots against the Jets, the Cowboys against the Dolphins, um, and I think the Patriots are given 21.5 points to the Jets and the Cowboys are given 20.5 to the Dolphins. And it wouldn't shock me if they if they beat the spread there. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Dolphins look dreadful. They're going to lose multiple games by... In fact, they've already lost multiple games by 30 points so far this season. We're only two weeks into the year. They're going to be picking number one overall unless something ridiculous happens somewhere. Um, the Jets, I, I think, are, you know, we touched on it earlier, struggling with their now down their third string quarterback against the Cowboys offense that, as we said, is, you know, incredibly high powered. So I think that's ridiculous that, you know, in the NFL in 2019, we have such a discrepancy between, um, between two teams in two separate games. Uh, the game I'm really looking forward to this week is Houston against uh, the LA Chargers. Uh, I think both teams are good at quarterback. Uh, both of them have got a lot of talent on the edge of their defense. Um, and Houston, I think, have got a little bit of a point to prove because they weren't that impressive against Jacksonville. Uh, they now have to travel to the Chargers, which is the stadium that probably has the least home field advantage in the entire NFL because it holds about 30,000 people and... More often than not, they aren't Chargers fans. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they, they get to travel and try and try and make a little bit of noise this week. And I think the battles you're going to see between the Texans wide receivers and the Chargers defensive backs, um, the Chargers having Casey Hayward outside and Desmond King in the slot, I think are two of the better uh, cornerbacks in the NFL. But they're going to have to go up against arguably the best receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. So that's that's the game I've got circled there. Yeah, I think this this is an interesting week for me for uh, people proving themselves. Uh, I think there's this is where we're going to find out the true making of some of these teams. So uh, 
I'm thinking the Ravens against the Chiefs. I'm thinking um, the the Cardinals and the Panthers against each other. Uh, also, the the Browns against the Rams. You know, are they going to be remotely competitive in that one? Um, that's the sort of games that they need to be winning if they've got any chance of making a run at the postseason. For me, actually, the Vikings Raiders is an interesting one, just because I think the Vikings are heavy favourites, but the Raiders have shown elements of looking half decent themselves, whereas the Vikings haven't really uh, done all that great to begin with. Um, Colts Falcons is an interesting one for me as well, just because Jacoby Brissett wasn't utterly honking. Uh, but the Falcons are firing on all cylinders. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Colts can get the offensive game going. Can they be competitive? And then as well, you've got the situation with the the Eagles who who need to get a win back on winning form against the Lions who have a, a bunch of talent on that team. But, you know, they've managed to get that win over the Chargers, which was impressive. But this is obviously a much tougher game for the Lions. So there's almost a prove it there as well. Uh, interesting to see what Minshew does against the Titans. Interesting to see what Mariota does against the Jaguars. Of course, this was the game uh, on the Thursday night last season when Derek Henry just went off. So, you know, the Jags will need to mark him. And I think that's the case with the Titans as well. We didn't really touch on about week two. Henry aside, there's no one player in particular that's doing anything of any great value. Bills Bengals is interesting. You know, Allen, Josh Allen's had a really good start to the season. The Bills are 2 0, brilliant. Um, and the Bengals are looking to bounce back from what was that doing at the 49ers. So, loads of interesting stories. The two games that you talk about, the Patriots, Jets, and the Dolphins, Cowboys, you know, you immediately write them off. But uh, you never know. That Jets defense could make it at least a little bit tricky for a wee while. Jamal Adams looks like he's uh, a huge player for them. But I think the game that's most fascinating, and we'll come and talk about this now is the Buccaneers-Giants. Now, that is one of our pick-six games, but let's talk about it now because, obviously, there's a change in a quarterback. Do you think it's the right time to be making this move? I personally, I would have made the move before the season um, begins. I think, I know they had a couple of tough defences to go against to start of the year, but the, the Giants weren't making the playoffs this year. Um, you know, we know what Eli Anning is at this point in his career, Um I'm one of the few people that thinks he probably should go into the Hall of Fame based on what the Hall of Fame is. Uh, but he's not a quarterback that's going to help you win games now in the NFL. Um, he's had his heyday with his Super Bowl runs. And they drafted Daniel Jones number six overall. Now, I didn't love Daniel Jones at uh, Duke. Um, but he was pretty good in preseason. And in preseason, he was good enough that I think the Giants, I think it's probably why they're going making the move as early as they are. Um, and why I would have made it to start the season, because he was good enough that you want to see what you have there um, at quarterback. I think there's a lot of similarities between him and young Eli Manning. Um, and I think at this point, you just want, it, you want to see what you can see, what he has um, as you work through the rest of the season. Uh, the interesting thing was the Buccaneers defense has been a lot better than people expected. I think Todd Bowles is doing a really good job there. Um, they're looking pretty good up front, where Vita Vea is having a really nice season um, at defensive tackle, off the edge. Um, Shaquille Barrett's a guy who we really liked for years at PFF um, as a kind of backup at the Broncos, um, finally getting his chance to, to play more snaps and had three sacks against the Panthers on, on Thursday night. So it's going to be a very tough ask for uh, for Daniel Jones in his, in his first game. Um but I think the time is right to, to see what they have. I think you, know, you want to get as many games under his belt in year one that you can because, you know, ideally you're going to finish this season with a, a top five draft pick. 
and knowing that you have a good chance with your quarterback heading into the second year. So um, I think the most important thing for the Giants now in the end of the season is getting as many positives as possible out of Daniel Jones. Yeah, and like you say, this first season can be that write-off one. That could be the one where you can say, well, listen, it was his first year. There's injuries, there's talent problems, we've got wide receivers suspended and things like that. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's it's the timing of it just feels like they were just waiting for Manning to fail. So why wait? You know, if, if it's going to be just two games and you're like, right, we've seen enough, out he comes. It just... Uh, I agree with you. I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, he's won Super Bowls. Of course he does. And he and he led his team to those Super Bowls. He did really well. He's had some great seasons over the years. And fine, he's had some down seasons, but it's just definitely a case that he probably should have retired two years ago. Um, and he's just never really come back uh, into any sort of form at all. As soon as Geno Smith got the starting position over him he probably should have just called it a day at that point and gone do you know what my time's up i'm going to go because the team took me at that point and i'm going to retire but ugh, it's one of those things It'd be interesting to see if anyone comes and tries to trade for him but i'm not sure that he has any trade value at this point in his career either i think that you only need to look at some of the performances of these backups and most of them are doing pretty well so so do you know what let's start with this one though for our pick six and let's get into our pick six section so giants at buccaneers gordon how do you see it going uh, I'm pretty certain, I'm just going to double check with my notes, I'm pretty certain I picked the Buccaneers. Um, yeah, I think defensively they're going to cause problems. Daniel Jones is in his first start, so I don't think it's going to be great. The Giants' skill positions are a complete mess just now with suspensions, injuries. Um, you know, They've got Barkley, um, they've got Evan Ingram, but outside of that, at wide receiver last week, you know, they had a bunch of guys who really you would want as your third and fourth wide receivers. I think if they can get Sterling Shepard back, it upgrades things significantly, but I just don't think they're going to have enough on offense. And as you'll remember from the last podcast I was on, uh, I think the Buccaneers are a little bit better than everyone else does. Uh, I think we saw that on Thursday night. Um, I think the Buccaneers can can cause them some problems on offense. Yeah, I've got the Bucs in this one as well, and I think the Bucs did what I've been saying for so long in that stopping the Panthers, you just need to stop McCaffrey. You know, make Cam throw, because he's not very good at it, not over a whole game. And sure enough, you know, Christian McCaffrey was held to one of his worst games so far. And sure enough, the Pan uh, the Panthers did nothing on offense at all. It was a whole bunch of kicks and a safety. So I think that there's still question marks on offense for the Buccaneers. I still think the running game's not particularly brilliant. I think that there's huge question marks over James Winston. But I think they they win this one. Uh, they go to two and one. The Giants are zero and three. And yeah, it's 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 a first game for Daniel Jones to get into the swing of it. Can't see it going any other way. But there you go. Right, next game then for this one: Ravens Chiefs. Obviously, that's your team, so I'll be assuming that you'll be taking them on the road, but uh, I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, I, I kind of, at this point, I'm just not going to bet against Lamar Jackson um, until he gives me a reason to. As I said at the start, I, I did not expect this from him um, to start the year. Uh, I, I really thought he would be a quarterback that you had to manage a lot from. Looks like a completely different player. Uh, a lot of people have talked about the struggles the Ravens had in coverage last week and they had a bunch of coverage busts and everyone's talking about how, oh, you go into the game against Patrick Mahomes off that. Patrick Mahomes is putting up 30 points in all likelihood against the Ravens regardless of who plays. It doesn't matter that Errol Thomas is back playing free safety. Just Mahomes puts up 30 plus points every week. So you can pretty much guarantee they'll be around that if not higher. 
So the question is just can the Ravens offense keep doing what they've done through two weeks? Um, and I'm just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna back against what we've seen from Lamar Jackson so far. So I'm going to homer up and I'm going to take the Ravens to win on the road. I love it. I'm such a wuss on my old team that I don't do the same. So well done. <laughs> Respect. Um, and on this one, I've, I've got the Chiefs. Just purely, So this is our... Last week I said of the Bills-Giants, I thought that the sum of the parts of the Giants was better than the sum of the parts of the Bills. I was completely wrong. I do think the sum of the parts on the Ravens is actually better than the sum of the parts on the Chiefs. Because if that defense can step up and and just find a way to restrict Mahomes a little bit then they've got a real chance of winning this one but I think that because it's in Kansas City as well it's um it's a tough one it's a tough one I, I gotta take the Chiefs in that one but I I agree with you I think this will be high scoring I think it could come down uh, it'll be a single digit difference between the teams I'm not necessarily going to say it's a single score but it'll definitely be single digit between them I think I don't think we'll see a blowout in any shape or form and I hope to see Lamar Jackson continuing on his good form because he's been brilliant to watch and long may that continue right okay next game up to discuss is Panthers at Cardinals yeah I'm going to go for the Cardinal in this one I think there's big questions whether or not uh, Cam Newton's even going to play there's been a flare up of his injury if he doesn't they're going to go with Kyle Allen I think um, and I really liked what I saw out of Kyler Murray the first two weeks of the season well from the from the fourth quarter of week one um, and throughout the game against the Ravens last week so I think they're going to put up some points this week and I think the I think the Cardinals win. So I've actually come down on the side of the Panthers with this one just purely because I expect them to bounce back I don't think you see two weeks in a row with Christian McCaffrey having bad games and I think that he's back on he's going to be back on the ground through the air two touchdowns over 150 combined yards uh, I think that the Arizona Cardinals defense has got gaps still in it obviously Peterson's still not there there's a lot to be lots of questions and like you say the big ones Cam I think they will be better to bench Cam I think they'll actually play better they'll know what they're dealing with if they can create a threat, and they've got threats. And DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Greg Olson, they've got a fence down the field. Um, a, f- a fence? <laughs> they've got options down the field. They can win this one, and I, I think they will. I do think they will. I think that Kyler Murray will continue to, to grow. He'll continue to keep the Cardinals in it and keep them interesting, but I just think that the Panthers will be annoyed. They've had the extra time off. That'll come back, and it'll fall in their favour. Now, Next game up, I've already said where I'm going on this one, but it's Steelers at 49ers, so I'm back in the Steelers for no reason other than I've backed against the Niners so far and we've won every game. Uh, so I've got Mason Rudolph to come in to San Francisco and knock the wheels off the bandwagon just as it's getting going. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do the same as I did with the Ravens and I'm going to homer up on your behalf. Um, <laughs> I, I think the only thing I'd be worried about for the 49ers is that you get a Steelers team who are you know, one of the most storied franchises in the NFL with their backs against the wall. But based on what we've seen from San Francisco through two weeks, what we've seen from Pittsburgh through two weeks, and the fact that they're now having to go to their backup quarterback, uh, I think the 49ers will be too strong. So it was interesting. Last week, Paul said it was a big game, this one between the, the Niners and the Bengals, because it should be a big win for the Niners. And if the Niners go out and attack and not hold back, then they could do really well. I think actually the best chance that the Niners have is to do the exact same thing. Come out and attack sling the ball around hit them on the ground it's going to be win through scoring a bunch of points rather than being conservative and holding back so it'll be interesting interesting to see how that one pans out game number five then is the texans at the chargers which you've already touched on as being one of the games that's uh, taking your fancy how do you see it going 
Yeah, I'm going to go for the Chargers in this one. I think I, so much was made of the Texans' trade for uh, Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. Um, and Deshaun Watson's still getting hit more than most quarterbacks in the NFL. He's still getting sacked more than most quarterbacks in the NFL. Because as great as it is that they spent two first-round picks on a guy they think can be an elite left tackle, there's five positions on the offensive line, not one. So going up against a team that have uh, Joey Bosta, they added uh, Jeremy Tillery from Notre Dame, who um, is on the defensive interior. I think he can cause some serious problems on the inside. Um, I think they're going to get to Deshaun Watson too often, uh, and I think the, the Texans are a little bit shaky in the defensive backfield, uh, and Phillip Rivers will be able to take advantage there. So funny, I've got that. <laughs> I've got the other result but for the exact same reasons so I think that Deshaun Watson will take advantage of the problems that the Chargers have in their secondary uh, Adrian Phillips broken his forearm so he's out and I think that the Deshaun Watson the key thing here is if that offensive line can just give him enough space there's still problems there's still gaps yeah it's nowhere near good enough to protect him that he needs to be protected but if he can just find enough room enough seconds to do what he needs to do I think that Deshaun Watson has got greater capability to cause problems than Philip Rivers and Keenan Allen and Williams and what have you. So I see this coming down as a Texans win. Um, I think that Carlos Hyde is starting to get uh, up to speed now as well. He managed to get 90 yards uh, against the Jags on the ground, which was decent. It didn't get a touchdown, but that, that'll come eventually. I think that gives Watson an option. If he's getting hammered, he can hand the ball off to someone that can at least get some yards because he's strong. Uh, Duke Johnson's starting to come into play. They're maybe still not using him as much as he would hope. Out of the frying pan into the fire from his point of view. But I see the Texans doing enough here to just snatch this one. Philip Rivers has a tendency to chuck the toys out the pram, and you saw that pretty early on against the Lions. So I think there could be a very similar trend with that one. But you're right. You know, that, that Chargers defense, if they're going to do it, it's going to do it. I think Austin Eckler is going to continue his good form. He's proven last week he's not Melvin Gordon. Um, he isn't as good, but he's good enough to, to cause damage. Uh, but the Texans, for me, just win this. And then what we'll do is we'll complete this then uh, with Saints at Seahawks. Yeah, I think Paul's not here, so I don't need to homer up on his behalf. <laughs> um, I, I think... The, the drop down from Breeze to Bridgewater is significant. Uh, the Seahawks have looked pretty good so far. Um, the big thing I think the Seahawks have as an advantage is how much Marshall and Lattimore is struggling at cornerback for the Saints right now. Um, I think last week he allowed a perfect NFL passer rating and throws into his coverage. Uh, he now goes up against one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and Russell Wilson. Um, I just think the, the Saints aren't going to be able to keep up the pace with the Seahawks. Yep, no, I agree with you. I've got Seattle in this one, especially at the fact that it's at home. Um, the I keep saying this, people aren't listening, but Seattle Seahawks are the luckiest team in the NFL. This sort of stuff <laughs> happens to them all the time. Last week, you know, obviously Big Ben gets injured. This week, Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the starting quarterback. la di da easy peasy. Week one, Joe Mixon managed to get injured, you know, brilliant, lucky for them. And they just do enough to, to get by. Now, the only thing I would say is against the Bengals and the Steelers, it's been ran pretty close. If Bridgewater can get in the groove, then this could be pretty close. And actually, the Saints could steal it. But I think that, yeah, I, I can't see anyone other than Seattle for this one. I just think that they will do more than enough to win at home. I think that Russell Wilson's finding his groove. He's finding these new targets. Uh, and they'll be more than strong enough for the Saints that are going to need a week or two to, to get into a different groove with Bridgewater. And to be honest, like you said earlier on, it might just be a case that they need to try and keep themselves at least in it until Breeze can come back and then take it from there. 
So, anyway, right, that completes our pick six. Just to give an update on the scores for anyone that's interested, Gordon, you and Paul are at the top with eight. Charles and Ian are on seven. Jamie's on six, and I'm on five. <sighs> My usual place in last position. It's because <laughs> I, I go for these things. I, I don't like being, you know, yeah, you safe. Take- chances yeah absolutely stupid chances i think is the right way to call it but anyway. anyway right before we move on we've got some news about the sold out glasgow event i'll come to that last any other news items taking your fancy though do you know i think we probably need to talk about it there's obviously the serious side that you know we need to let the all the legal stuff etc take its thing but the the story about antonio brown farting in his doctor's face is just of all the twists and turns this has taken, how how can it possibly get any more ridiculous than everything that's happened? And then, and I think there, I've not I've not seen it, but I'm pretty sure there's actually a video, and he's multiple <laughs> times he farts in his doctor's face. It's like, how is this? How is this where we are? And it just the whole thing has been a complete circus. He played pretty well for them in the in the game against the Dolphins. They they got him involved pretty early. I think Brady's first three passes went to him. Just. I mean, I yes. know, I know. People find farts funny. It's just how is that where we are that that stuff is still happening? It's so weird. It's the fact that it's even made the news. You know, the fact that it's—I was going to say it's been leaked, but you know, obviously the fart was leaked, so you might as well get the story yeah. out as well. Um, yeah. And I'm gonna—I'm gonna give way too much information on this one, and I don't know why. I've just inspired to do it because I feel like it's just yeah, it's disgusting behaviour. I have in my life had a colonoscopy, right? Now, for anyone that doesn't know, that's when you get a camera stuck up your bum, and they stick a load of air up there just to see that everything's tickety-boo and thankfully touch wood everything at the time's tickety-boo no problems whatsoever but see during that whole 20 minute procedure i didn't fart once in the doctor's face and i think i had every reason to do it so if i can contain <laughs> myself for 20 minutes with a camera up my, up my arse then i think antonio brown can just reel it in a little bit pal come on you know we've already seen the camera as he's celebrating um, that he's been released, which was the most staged and awkward and pathetic thing, but we covered that last week. But yeah, this is just like, oh, come on, get a grip. Um, and to be honest, I, I wonder how much of this is even leaked to take away from the more serious stuff. And that's still to yeah. go through, and obviously that's ongoing. We'll, we'll see what comes of it. don't want to comment on it. But yeah, you're right. What a ridiculous story. What a ridiculous story. Anyway, sorry for sharing that. <laughs> I think that's fine. I think that's probably a good point to to move swiftly on yes. to news of our event. Absolutely. And sold out live event in Glasgow. Um, I promise not to fart on anyone there either. Um, but it's going to be brilliant. Do you know what? It, we sold out in under a week. We've got yourself coming along to prov- to provide some brilliant analysis that you always do. Myself and Paul will be there, of course, hosting it. We've got Jimmy McLaughlin from the Pirates, who's going to come and give us some quarterback stuff. And we've got Scott Cooper, who played for the Scottish Claymores for pretty much every single season. I think he played for every season bar one. Um, Obviously, the big focus for anyone that didn't see the Claymores was you had to have Scottish players, but he was one of the one of the absolute standouts of the homegrown players. You know, he was a regular contributor to the team. Um, He's going to be there. A bit of breaking news on this podcast as well, because Scott's been kind enough to donate three items that we're going to raffle on the night. He's donated a cap that was given to every member of the team that started in the squad. So that's a unique item. He's donated a training top that he wore when he was playing with the Claymores. But perhaps most exciting and top prize in the raffle is he's donated one of the balls that he scored a touchdown with when he played for the Scottish Claymores. And for me, I would love to get my hands on that. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great prize. And I, I remember when I first got into American football, going to Claymore's games uh, was one of the highlights for me because it was my first experience actually getting to go to games. Um, so it's really cool. It's going to be really cool to meet Scott, um, and I think it's a really good guest for us to have. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? I just hope everybody really enjoys the event. You know, so happy to, to, to get it sold out. Great that everybody's coming along. So we look forward to that. Right. Just before we wrap up, one last thing to do. And that's just to give a quick update on our McBookies Pick'em group. So, you know, it's it's going pretty well. Um, some really good scores in it so far. There is, I think, two people tied at the top with um, 24 points so far. I'm sitting in 79th place with 19. So I'm only five off the top. I'm not horrific. We're not going to touch on you because you're doing pretty well. Um, but <laughs> the Lichty Giants, and Ross McGee are the two people sitting at the top there with 24. We've got a couple of people sitting up on 23. Let's give them a mention. We've got Spain, Skull, 1867, The Wet Bandits, Oz, 82, and Vicky, all with 23, so only one point behind. And then there's a whole load of people in tied eighth place as well. Um, we've got, yeah, quite a few people in there. So it's really close. Uh, brilliant to see so many people taking part. Remember to make your picks as well uh, for this week every single week counts and we will be giving a prize out not just to the winner but to someone randomly who has taken part every single week so always something worth playing for even if you're sitting in dead last place but that concludes anything then for episode 66 please keep your feedback coming and make sure that you follow us on twitter at scotland nfl and on facebook www.facebook.com forward slash scotland nfl we're kicking off the 2019 season really well uh, i think last week's podcast had our biggest ever single day of downloads uh, so thanks to everyone who's been downloading sharing listening along to the pod we really appreciate it like bad refereeing calls it's inevitable that paul will return next week but it's been a pleasure having gordon step in thank you sir we'll need to send paul away more often to be honest uh, remember to set those mcbookie pick em sections we'll speak to you next week we'll digest everything from week three look ahead to week four but until then bye for now <laughs>